0: Well, looking at the way of Jesus, and we began a couple of weeks ago with Jesus and children, and then last week looked at Jesus and the kingdom of God. Today, looking at Jesus and money. Now, if we are going to be followers of Jesus, then our lives and our values have to reflect His teaching. And so uh, I was excited last week when Stacy shared with me a text message she got from our son Barrett, simply because he was excited about a sermon series they began at his church in Nashville. And one of the things they're looking at is this idea of Christians and society. And one of the things that Barrett's preacher brought out last Sunday was that if we are following Jesus if we are truly following Jesus then we're never really going to feel like we fit in now on the surface that may seem like kind of bad news right church like really we're we're going to feel like we're like we don't belong like we don't fit in but isn't that the way it should be we sing sometimes about how this world is not our home and we're We're just passing through. And so that if we are really clinging to the teachings of Jesus, if we adopt those as our set of values, then we are going to be living counter to the world in which we find ourselves. And that is why Jesus would say things that kind of make us scratch our heads sometimes like, You know, if someone will lose their life, then they'll find it. But if they've found their life, then they're going to lose it. And we think, now what does all that mean? Well, simply that if we are willing to lose the life that this world would have us live, or if we're willing to lose the life that we had and adopt a new and different life, If we are willing to lose that old life, then we will find a new life. And one that is far more abundant. We applauded and rejoiced just a short while ago because Matt this week did just that. By putting on Christ in baptism, he said, I'm leaving the old life and I am starting a new life. And he came out of that water Wednesday afternoon, a new creation. And so I say that this morning just to remind us, those of us that already know what it's like to be baptized into Christ, that we need to be reminded sometimes, every once in a while, about that moment that we went down into that same water. And that we left our old self in that water and rose from those waters a new creation. And that if we're spending all of our time trying to blend into the world around us, trying to assimilate, then we're missing the mark. And we're missing it royally. That... What Jesus calls us to is not, hey, just blend in. Just be like everybody else. Because after all, that's a problem that even the ancient Israelites had. I was talking to someone a couple of weeks ago. And uh, you know, he was asking me. Uh, well, uh, he, he didn't really know much about David because I meant, made some comment to him about you know David uh, being a man after God's own heart. And I said, you know all the stuff David did, right? And he said, no. Well, I could have just started with you know Bathsheba and Uriah, but no, that I wanted, I like to give the backstory. If you all know me, there's no such thing as a quick answer. Sorry. Okay? And so so I went all the way back to the Israelites and how God had intended for them not to have kings. If you know your Old Testament, you know where I'm I'm going with this. You know, God intended for them to be ruled by judges and prophets. But what did they say? They said, Hey, Samuel... We want to be like everybody else. Samuel said, no, you don't. He said, yes, we do. And so Samuel goes to God and says, God, they want a king. What does God say? No, they don't. He says, tell them. You know, the kings are going to require things of them. Enlist their sons into service and the kings are going to tax them. And they're going to require... Uh, a portion of their crops, and and their livestock, and etc., etc. And Samuel goes back and says, you're not going to like it. This is what the Lord, the God Almighty says. This is why you don't want a king. And they said, well, yeah, we do want a king. Because everybody else around them had what, church? A king. And so, human nature, as I often say, because it's true hasn't changed much in thousands of years, that people want to be like the people around them. And so we have to take a swimming upstream mentality when we live our lives and when we create our system of values. Now, Jesus teaching about money, it's not that money is evil. One of the things Jesus said about money is, hey, you can't have two masters. Because if you do, you try to serve two masters, you're going to end up loving one and hating the other. And that's just not going to work. And so then he went on to explain that that God and money are two such potential masters. That you can't serve both at the same time. And so Jesus was just simply trying to make the point to people that listen, you're going to have to have money. That's a given. But you have the money. Don't let the money have you. You control the money. Don't let the money control you. And so Jesus then... uh, Teaching very clearly and teaching often about about money. And so, uh, one of the things I want us to look at is uh, Matthew 17. And in Matthew 17, I want us to look at verses 24 through 27. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? he asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. Now I think this is interesting because Peter is questioned. Hey, it's time to pay the two drachma tax. Doesn't your master pay it? And then, and then Peter's like, "Well, yeah, of course he does." And then I can see him walking into the house, ready to say, uh, "You do pay the two the two drachma temple tax, right?" See, every Jewish male, every adult Jewish male, uh, had to pay annually a two drachma tax to the temple, and uh, it was meant to maintain the temple to keep up the temple and so every year you had to fork over this tax now there was no shortage of taxes in the ancient world i'm going to read you a few paragraphs from zondervan's handbook of the bible i read from this a few years ago we were talking about uh... passover and i thought it would be helpful today to understand uh... you know just to get a glimpse of uh, first century Palestine and, and what some of their life was like. Uh, it says that about half of Jesus' parables involve money in some way. Now you wonder, well, why, why would that be? Well, because everybody needs money, right? Everybody uses money. We've got to have it to buy things we need. So, Jesus is teaching about things that people can relate to or using it as an example. This reflects the importance of money and business for Jesus' hearers. Palestine, and especially lower Galilee, was an important trade route and was also an important production site for many goods and foods. Now, if you think about that, it's the land flowing with what, church? Milk and honey, right? It was choice land that God set aside for his people. So it's no surprise then that they could grow some good stuff there. And so Palestine exported vegetables, grain, olive oil, rushes for rope making, uh, asphalt from the Dead Sea, and balsam. Palestine was almost the only source of balsam which was used for medicines and spices. The revenue was so important that Herod built large fortifications to protect the balsam route thought that was interesting. Another large export was salted fish which was also an important part of the Palestinian diet and uh, so I'll skip some of this Uh, but uh, most families in Galilee still worked their own land and would market their produce themselves. Many families specialized in particular businesses. Fishing for example was big business so that even a small family firm like that of John and James could use hired laborers. We see evidence of that in Mark chapter 1. Uh, Sometimes a village produced a single product which they supplied to a wide area. Uh, Now, expenses for a working class family in New Testament Palestine. Remember, things haven't changed that much in all these years, okay? Because what are the people paying? They have to pay taxes. We hear a lot about taxes, don't we? Because we have politicians that want to raise taxes, at least on some people. We have politicians that want to lower taxes. When Stacy and I first got married and we didn't have a whole lot, we were in a 28% tax bracket, for example, back in the early 90s. Then a bit later, We had a little more money, we were making a little more, and we were in a 25% tax bracket. And now, we're making a little more, been married 30 years, and we're in a 22% tax bracket. So, you see what our government has done over the years is they have altered tax brackets. And we don't pay as much as we used to. And So, I'm looking at a group of people, most of which probably find themselves about where we are, about a 22% tax bracket. And living in a state that, unlike my former state, doesn't have a state income tax. Uh, and so and so, we know all about taxes. If you're an adult, or even not an adult, but if you have ever had a job. I remember in junior high, washing dishes at a girls' camp. Okay, that's a story for another day. But, yeah, washing dishes at a girls' camp. And... Uh, I remember my paycheck was $85 and of course I got that first paycheck and guess how much it was? Not $85, right church? Okay, my my, my brother, my son, he's my brother in Christ, but my son writing for a website uh, got his first paycheck and saw that, okay, well here's how much you earned but here's how much we're giving you and he, he, you know, and he saw, he's reminded, oh yeah, There's the stuff that they withhold from your check, and it's something that everybody going to work has to realize at some point. But even in first century Palestine, uh, the breakdown here is that uh, okay, they got a a portion for for clothing, and a portion of their income goes for food, and they've got ten percent going to other and the. Biblical scholars that put this together say that 10% for charitable giving, charitable giving, 10% for religious festivals, 11% is religious tithe plus the temple tax, 4% Roman and local taxes, and 5% for illegal taxes and bribes. Yeah. Now, because... Why did they despise the tax collectors, right? Why do the Gospels repeatedly say sinners and tax collectors, right? Now, how would you like to have an occupation that is singled out among all the occupations under the sun and lumped in with sinners, okay that's 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 the life of a tax collector Uh, you were loved by no one okay and so that's why the the story of Zacchaeus is so powerful in Luke's gospel because he was not only a tax collector but he was a chief tax collector so it's kind of like Uh, a mafia boss that you know you got all these people all these tax collectors working under you and they're lining their pockets but they're also kicking up to the boss and so so yes uh, there is uh, five percent for those illegal taxes and then the bribes now uh, bribes still go on today Uh, there are public officials that from time to time are indicted you hear about uh, for taking bribes, uh, extorting people, uh, it's it goes on big time in other parts of the world. Uh, if you ever try to get a, a, a shipment of Bibles into a place like Liberia, uh, believe you me, uh, there there has to be uh, there has to be something that somebody gets. You've got to grease a certain number of palms uh, to make that happen, and it's just. What do we say, Church? It's part of the cost of doing business. It's just what you have to do to get those Bibles in the hands of the people they're intended to. Is that saying that the Holenwald Church of Christ has been engaged in that activity? No, not directly. Okay, uh, <laughs> so but I've been made aware that that is a reality in in many parts of the world, and so Jesus then actually Peter. Is asked, you know, uh, doesn't doesn't your master pay the temple tax? And it's almost like he's a little bit throwing Jesus under the bus here. But he's you know he's the the easy answer is to say, well, well of course he pays it. You know, he's a. He's an adult Jewish male. We all pay the the, the two drachma tax, and so uh, and so he walks into the house. And Jesus, being Jesus, knows what's happened. Knows what's happened, and so he says, "Okay, uh, like Jesus often does in in his teaching, he asks a question. So Simon, you tell me, you know who pays taxes? Is it the children of kings, or is it everyone else? And Peter's like, well, it's everyone else. Now, Jesus is making the point that here I am, a king. And here you are, one of my followers. And so it's as if Jesus is saying, really, I ought to be exempt from the temple tax. But Jesus is also teaching us something here that is, is important for us to think, remember and think about from time to time, is choose your battles carefully. And if you can avoid offending other people, then by all means, avoid offending other people. And Now, in the ancient Jewish world, this is not in Holy Scripture, but we have ancient Jewish scholars that write of these things and they would have they they would hear these stories and they would tell stories about pious jews that would find money and find blessings in unexpected places such as the mouth of fish and so this would not have been lost on simon peter this idea that hey you know you're a fisherman go cast out your line And don't be picky. First fish that you catch, pull it in. Check its mouth. There you'll find not a 2 drachma coin, but a 4 drachma coin. And go take that to the temple or the people that are here collecting the temple tax. And go give that to them and say it's for both of us. And so, problem solved. No one's offended. Yes, Jesus is on record, like every other adult male Jew, of paying the two drachma temple tax. And so, we look over a few pages later at Matthew 22. And in Matthew 22, I want to begin with verse 15. When the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words, then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words, they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are tell us then what is your opinion is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not now when people that you know are out to get you approach you and say now we know you're just incredible we know you're just awesome okay you know there's a hook somewhere right you know that they're just, they're just setting the stage for what's coming. And Jesus knows this. And so they're asking him this question because you know they're thinking, hey, this is how we'll get him. We'll ask him about taxes. Because if he says, why, yes, everybody ought to pay taxes. Taxes are a good thing. Then most of the people who are following Jesus at this point Because we have to remember, there's not really a middle class. There are the haves and there are the have-nots. And the people that are following Jesus for the most part at this point are the have-nots. It's the peasant class. It's the working class. And so if Jesus says, well, yeah, there's nothing wrong with taxes. Taxes are great. You just pay those taxes. Now, at that point, they know that many of the people following, up, following him up to this point are going to say, you've got to be kidding me. Taxes are good? They are oppressing us with all these taxes. The legal and the illegal. But, by that same token, if he takes the other course and says, I think taxes are horrible. I don't think people should pay them. Then he's going to be guilty of insurrection. That's why they sent the Herodians. The Pharisees didn't have any love for the Herodians. But they're using the Herodians. Of course, that name Herodian comes from the fact that they're loyal to to Herod. And so they, they send the Herodians along because if the Herodians here that Jesus says you shouldn't pay taxes, now they could accuse him of starting a revolt. They can accuse him of insurrection. And it doesn't take long after they identify you as an insurrectionist to arrest you and then to execute you. And so they're thinking either he's going to lose his followers and we'll be rid of him that way, or the Romans are going to execute him. Either way, we're done with him. But then Jesus replies. But Jesus, verse 18, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. And and he asked them, whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him and went away. Because he says, whose pictures on that coin? Well, that's Caesar's. Well then, give Caesar back his money, and give to God what is God. Meaning, give God and God alone your worship. And so, Matthew tells us very clearly, then they just walk away. They're amazed because with all the planning, they were not able to trap Jesus. And so, as we begin to conclude our time together this morning, I want us to look then at uh, John chapter 12. This is an event that is recorded in uh, all of the Gospels. John chapter 12, the first eight verses. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. I'm going to stop there for just a moment. Now, it was customary in their time to anoint a guest with some of this perfume and Jesus was was a guest John has told us that the dinner is in his honor it was also customary to use perfume such as this to anoint a body in preparing it for burial now so we see what's going on here this is In a way, it's yes, Jesus is our honored guest, but it's also a harbinger of the crucifixion that is to come. And so, uh, but the thing is, normally you would have used a small amount. And she uses it all. It's expensive stuff. Verse 4, But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Have me. And so, that is a phrase that I often remind myself that Jesus says there. You will always have the poor among you. The poor will always exist in any society. And we are obligated to help them where we can. But you see the big problem here is that one of the 12 one of the 12 is a thief all of the following closely with Jesus walking closely with him for roughly 3 years now is this is the time the conclusion of his ministry and all of that has not changed this man's heart Judas is a thief. And we know that he is the one that will sell out Jesus. And why? Well, he probably had more motivation than just money. But we know that money was involved, don't we church? And so this is an example of what Jesus says don't let happen to you. Don't let yourself happen Be controlled by money. Use money when you can for positive influence. But don't let money influence you. Because when you do that, evil things happen. When I came to this church, when it came to that point in the interview, do you have any questions for us? My very first question was, do you have any debt? Because I knew what it was like to serve in a congregation where the shepherds made decisions based on that debt. Because, in other words, they felt like they were slaves to that debt. They would never have acknowledged that. But unfortunately, they made decisions because of that note that they felt was looming large over their heads. That their names were personally on. And so my point here is that sometimes they made unwise decisions. And so, if you've noticed the what's going on on the other side of the building, new roof going on the Life Center... And no money is leveraged to pay for that roof. No money has been leveraged since I've been here. I interviewed for a church in northern Tennessee and I asked the question, do you all have any debt? Yes, we do. How much do you have? 1.2 million. For a congregation of 200 people on a good Sunday. No, thank you. And so church family... What Jesus teaches about money is you're going to have to have it. You've got to have it to eat. You've got to have it to clothe yourself. You've got to have it to put a roof over your head to pay your, your utility bills. But don't ever fall into the trap of letting money influence you or control you because no good ever comes from that. And we see that with Judas as a perfect example here. And so church, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, then we have to have values that reflect the teachings of Jesus. And so how we live our lives matters. How we conduct ourselves matters. Let's all be people who are following the teachings of Jesus closely and are far more influenced by Jesus than we ever are by the world around us. Jesus calls us to be such people. May we be such people. If you are with us today and you have not yet put on Christ in baptism, we offer an invitation so that you can do that. And if you're with us today and need the prayers of a faithful body of believers, then we offer the invitation for that as well. Hayden, let's sing. Stand.